So, hi everyone and welcome back to the Reading Materials Podcast. My name is Lucia and I'm joined by my friend Jess. And we are big fans of A Court of Thrones and Roses by Sarah J. Mass. So we have been making our way through the whole series and we have made it to the final book, which is A Court of Silver Flames. And today's episode is going to be about chapters 41 to chapter 60 of the book, but we will probably be spoiling things that happened before as well. So if you haven't read the series up to this point, I do suggest you pause, go read, come back, and be forewarned, there might also be spoilers for the Crescent City series, but we shall see. I'm just going to put it out there, just in case. I think there will be. There might be. Straight, I think there will be. (laughs) But if anyone needs a recap of what's been going on so far, Jess, do you want to tell us what's happened in the book up to this point? Sure. So this book starts with kind of an intervention uh, for Nesta, who has been drinking and visiting unsavory locations and, you know, has kind of withdrawn herself and clearly something is wrong. So they kind of have an intervention. She's to train with Cassian um, and to work in the library at mm-hmm. the House of Wind. So she's been doing that. She's been training with the other priestesses. She's made two friends, uh, Gwyn, a priestess, and Emery, uh, an Illyrian female. And meanwhile, they have been hunting for the Dread Trove, which are some magical objects that they suspect Brylin, the human queen who got uh, put into the cauldron and came out really old. They suspect she is also hunting for them for war-making purposes. When we finished off in the last episode, they had just gotten their hands on the mask, and we start off this section of the book with Helion, who is the High Lord of the Day Court, is it? Or Dawn? Day. I think Fison is Dawn. Day. Yeah, you're right. So High Lord of the Day Court, he comes to Valaris to help them with some magic spells to make sure that nobody can get their hands on the mask. And we also very quickly find out that the swords and daggers that Nesta had made in the previous part of the book appear to be cursed in some way. So the blacksmith is freaking out and he's brought them to Reese and he's saying he doesn't want them anymore because they're cursed. Nesta seems to have imbued them with her power, which seems to be death. How do you like this strand of the plot, I suppose? I really liked the the introduction of these magic swords. Mm-hmm. Thought it was cool that she made them as she is called her maid, that she has some kind of special power and therefore she was able to do something no one else had done. I liked the, and I thought it was very appropriate, kind of the reservations and healthy fear slash respect that everyone had around these weapons, that no one was to touch them and that Amaran was even saying, don't even unsheathe them. I thought it created a lot of of uh, intrigue, a lot of mystery. I liked it. Mm-hmm. Also, it gives us now some some new uh, kind of new powered up weapons. You know, they might come in handy. Mm-hmm. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I liked the introduction of them. I don't really like where we end up with this part of the story in a few chapters. But you know, this initial scene where they're finding out that they've been cursed or that they have powers. 
we get a little bit of history about other such objects throughout time. The history I was really into. To be honest, I've already forgotten, <laughs> or maybe I just didn't fully understand oh. everything, but if you remember, do you want to tell us about the history of such objects? I will try. I'm super into these kind of lore mm -hmm. moments. Okay. So previously there had been a couple of magic swords. The most notable was Gwydion, wielded by Finn, mm -hmm. maybe? Anyway, wielded by a great hero of, of the age. This was kind of like the quote-unquote good magic sword. Then there was the evil magic sword called mm -hmm. Narbin, yeah. I think. And... Yeah, basically these had all been lost to time, more or less. We learned that Amarantha had found one, but it wouldn't yield to her, so she threw it in the sea, but this maybe is rumour, we don't really know. Basically all the magic swords have been lost to time. Yeah. Or have they? Or have they, indeed. Do you want to talk about this now or later? We can talk about it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. What, what in particular do you want to talk about? Okay, this is a Crescent City link, so... When you were reading Crescent City, did you ever get the vibe? Because you know the way Rune has this special sword? Yes. Yep. And I can't remember. I think it's mentioned in Crescent City rather than this series, but that that sword has a twin. Mm-hmm. I always had the vibe that the twin was Truth Teller. Mm-hmm. That it could be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then especially when we learned that the two worlds are... That Bryce has now entered their world. Mm-hmm. Okay. Also possibly that the Fae maybe came from this world... That the fate of the Crescent City world might have come from the Aquatar world. Yes. Because there are certain similarities. You know, it's plausible. Mm -hmm. Anyway, okay, so that's point one. That Azrael's dagger is maybe the twin to Rune's sword. But I wanted to look up the name of Rune's sword before this episode. And actually, uh, according to the internet, the name of Rune's sword is Gwydion. Oh. Which would make it the... The Sword the of Heroes. Gwydion. Okay. Yes. And I also read that there's a prophecy regarding Rune's sword that when the two are reunited again, great things will happen or something to that extent. Okay. Well, I'm glad you looked that up because I would not have remembered the name of Rune's sword. And yeah, it seems... No, I didn't, I didn't remember it either. Yeah, it seems like but... too much of a coincidence for there to be two swords with the same name. So I am inclined to believe that it is the Gwydion blade that they mention in this book exactly exactly which i think we can touch back on this later but an interesting possible crossover point and it of the two histories and isn't there also at the end of crescent city 2 which now major spoiler for those who haven't read it but when bryce does arrive in prithian doesn't she have the sword or doesn't she recognize truth teller i think she might there's some kind of there is a moment mm. of recognition because she has because it's the star sword in her world, and she has the star power, so she should, I think, if it's technically her sword, she should maybe have some connection to Azrael's sword. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's not a sword, his dagger, but yeah. Yeah, very good link. I'm glad that you looked that up, but I'm really curious where this will go, this this crossover in the next book, which is coming out in January, so you know, we'll we'll get some answers soon, I hope, but... Yeah, I find it interesting, though, that they think that Amarantha had it. So I wonder if that was just a rumor that's, that she started spreading to make herself seem more powerful, that she was powerful enough to have destroyed 
a death sword or if there is some truth to it. Mm -hmm. But if there is some truth to it, then that would imply that it had only gone missing in the last 50 years while Amarantha was in power. So how would she have managed to get it? Mm. Or she found it. Or she found... But but Rune has it. But like it was missing and... No, no, Rune has Gwydion. Yes, yeah, 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 but... But there's the... But but the Death Sword is Narbon. Yes, but the rumor was that Amarantha destroyed... Oh, no, you're right. No, the rumor was that she destroyed Narbon. Sorry, my bad. Disregard everything I just said. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Redacted. Redacted, yes. Yeah, so I'm just curious where it's going to go and what will happen when they bring the two blades together. If it becomes like a super blade or if they just amplify mm-hmm. each other's powers in some way. Guess we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> yes, we'll, we will have to wait and see. Yeah, yeah. But in terms of the swords or the blades that Nesta has quote unquote made mm-hmm. and imbued with her power, it comes into handy. I know we're skipping ahead, but it comes into handy when she's fighting against Lanthus, Lanthus at the prison. Yeah, yeah. So it seems that the thing that makes them really powerful or really unique is the ability to kill immortal beings like death gods. Mm -hmm. So Lanthus is or was one of the death gods who was imprisoned by Cassian. And he seemed to have like a non-corporeal form where he was almost like mist. Mm -hmm. And then... Nesta manages to make him corporeal with the sword, and she manages to kill him as well, which I thought was pretty cool. Great. How did you like that whole scene? I loved the the chapters of, of the prison. Most of the chapters in the prison have been really good, I have to say. Yes, they have. They really have. Um, I think, in general, Sarah J. Mass is pretty good at making these creepy, scary kind of characters. Yeah. And... They become almost the most memorable for me. Yeah. Although the one thing I didn't like about Lanthus is his urge to evil monologue, the way that all evil (laughs) (laughs) creatures seem to do. (laughs) I mean, maybe, you know, if if you haven't had someone to talk to in 200 years, maybe you're just like, and here's this speech I've been thinking about for several decades, which now you must listen to. Yes, (laughs) I am the most powerful. I, you know, children cower before me or something. I can kill you in my sleep kind Mm -hmm. of things. Like, yeah, we get it. Okay, that's fine. (laughs) Let's move on. But before we get to the prison, Mm -hmm. in terms of what I didn't really like about the sword storyline is the fact that it's being discussed by Reese and Cassian and basically the entirety of the inner circle minus more because more is somewhere on the continent mm-hmm. and they are deciding whether or not to tell Nesta that she has this ability and that she has created these death swords and Reese and Amran vote against it mm-hmm. because my understanding is because they just don't trust that she wouldn't use it for some evil thing is that what you thought? I think it was specifically that she wouldn't use it against them. Hmm. But but do they actually think she would? That's the thing. Because... I find that hard to believe. Yeah, me too. Because, yes, she's used her powers until now. She 
you know, she pointed at the king and then she managed to kill the king. She pointed at Tamlin. Mm -hmm. They're making a big deal out of this in the previous section of the book, even though I don't think it meant mm -hmm. anything. And yes, sometimes her power um, comes out, but she's never used it to harm anyone she cares about. So I don't really buy that they think that she would use it against them. I agree. But it's all to further the plot. <laughs> of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, there's even the fact that she she managed to use the mask and mm -hmm. she resists the mask. She doesn't want to have anything to do with it. So that's already a point in her favor of she's not some homicidal maniac who's just going to go on a killing spree with these death swords. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really like that. And then obviously I didn't really like where it leads because... Nesta inevitably does find out. Cassian tells her that this is what happened. Can I just, before you go on any further, the fact of like him being like, wait, if you had a magic sword or a legendary <laughs> sword, what would you call it? Like it's, it was the most obvious uh, or the, the least subtle, shall we say? Yeah. yeah ever. Yeah. It was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just, I'm just making conversation in the middle of our training session. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> no biggie. No biggie. Unrelated. <laughs> yeah, this is true. This was quite comical. And obviously Nesta immediately figures out that there's something going on. So he tells her that Reese and Amran voted against her. And she is absolutely furious. And mm -hmm. in her fury, she manages to find the strength and the willpower to walk down 10,000 stairs and enter Valaris. And then she goes to Amran's apartment and they have it out. Mm -hmm. How did you like the scene between her and Amran? I can't really, I can't really remember it. I know they, I know, like you said, they have it out and it's mainly revolving around Amran was getting sick of Nesta using her as a shield from the others, but I don't really remember what else actually they said. Well, I think the main gist of it was she, I think... Nesta could understand why Reese would not be on her side because they have this animosity between them. But I, I guess she had hoped that despite the fact that her and Amran are currently not on speaking terms, mm -hmm. that Amran would have trusted her and would have voted for her because she considered Amran to be pretty much her only friend within mm -hmm. the inner court. And the fact that Amran voted against her, I think just feels like a huge betrayal to Nesta. But as we later learn, they fall out also because Nesta wasn't willing to train her power. So I guess if you look at it from, like, you have someone who is unwilling, who has a terrible and great power, who is unwilling to train it, who is prone to kind of these uh, these outbursts to hurt people, like mm -hmm. in a in a verbal manner, and who is a bit unpredictable. Do you really want to give that person a magic sword, regardless of whether they used to be your friend or not? Well, to me, it was never a question of actually giving her the sword. Mm -hmm. To me, it was about telling her that she had created swords in the first place. Yeah. Which I think she has a right to know. I'm not saying they should have just handed her the swords when she's completely ill-equipped to even use them. I mean, she's only just learning how to train anyway. But the fact that neither of them trusts her enough to even tell her about it is kind of what bothered me a bit more. 
I agree, but it kind of I think it it follows the narrative that we have built so far. Like she's not trusted at all. It does. By like anyone, it's really except Cassie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in line with Amran and Risa's characters this book. Yeah. But the even bigger thing that happens in the apartment is that Farah comes. She tries to break up the fight and Nesta lashes out and reveals to Farah that they've been keeping a secret from her. And that is the fact that her baby has wings and that she and the baby will probably not survive the birth. Mm-hmm. Farah is distraught. Amran is absolutely disgusted by Nesta and the fact that she told her. And Reese has a total, complete hissy fit <laughs> that is so over the top and so such an overreaction in my opinion Mm -hmm. he's basically he tells Cassian to get Nesta out because he's gonna effing kill her (laughs) just like what yeah they have to go live in the mountains for a couple of days like they have there's not even time to stop at the house and pack Azriel has to like pre-prepare something for them it's all a bit like we for real this is so dramatic and so unnecessary. Like As if Fair would ever forgive Reese if he killed her sister. It's just so it's just an it's like I understand that Reese wants to protect Feyre. I get it. I really I do. But this to me is so unnecessary and so such an overreaction and it just doesn't paint mm-hmm. him in a good light for me at all. That this is his go-to reaction. Oh, you've wronged me. You've you've told my mate that I've been lying to her for months. I'm gonna kill you. Yeah. No, I didn't like it. How did you like the next part, though? So Cassian takes Nesta, and they go to the mountains, and they're trekking. And tell us about that section of the book. Mm, okay. So as you said, they go into the mountains, uh, fleeing from. The wrath of Reese. Cassian kind of becomes bad cop a little bit. Like, he's not very friendly. He makes Nesta carry this massive pack. I don't even know what's in the pack because it doesn't really seem like they have much food because I think... I got the impression that Cassian was also hunting their dinner. They have, like, bread and cheese and stuff. I don't know. Anyway. She carries this enormous pack. They're doing a bit of back-to-nature therapy. Like, I see where it's coming from, but it was a bit boring to read. Although nice that we kind of arrived at the at the point of Nesta opening up and facing herself. Mm. Yeah, for me, I liked this section for where we end up with Nesta and her character progression. I feel like this is probably, you know, Nesta hitting rock bottom. And yeah. we needed to get here so that she could really start to heal. And we get her explanation of how she hates herself and how she's always hated herself for the fact that she didn't do enough to save their father when he was taken by the King of Hybern and ultimately killed, how she didn't help Feyre with the hunting or with anything, and how she was just so awful to everyone her whole life. And, Mm -hmm. like, it's... It can be quite difficult to read... About a character who's in such a dark mental place. Mm-hmm. But I appreciate that it's in there. Because I think it's really necessary for Nesta's character. I agree. 
I think we just could have perhaps done without quite so much detail on the hike through the woods where essentially nothing happens. Yeah, and I, I don't quite appreciate Cassian's behavior towards Nesta mm-hmm. and how he's how he's punishing her for what she did when it's not really up to him to punish her at all. Feyre even said, like, they have a moment between Cassian and Feyre mentally where Feyre's telling him that I've I've talked to Reese, we're on the same page, come back, there's no need for you to do this. Reese has calmed down, I forgive Nesta, and Cassian's like, no, I decide when we come back. It's not really up to you to decide. I took that to mean that, like, he could tell it would be good for her to spend some days away. Mm-hmm. Not that he was doing it to punish her, but that he kind of knew that this time away was what she needed and that perhaps, I don't know, this healing mountain or whatever (laughs) was going to be the thing. Mm -hmm. That might be so, but he could have gone about it a bit differently. Not really speaking to her. I I get it that she wasn't speaking to him either, but she was obviously Mm -hmm. working through some stuff, but forcing her to carry the pack when it's obviously heavier than she is. And I don't know. It was... A little bit cruel, I felt. I agree. But yeah, that's, that's I think, all I have to say. But thankfully, she does get through it. She has her breakdown. They have a nice chat about trauma and <laughs> overcoming trauma and moving on and healing. So good. I like where we end up <laughs> between the two mm-hmm. of them. I just don't quite like the journey, I guess. Get you. So they come back from the mountain, and what happens next? Mm. I mean, in, de- in, in Minutia, I can't remember, in main events, she is invited by Gwen to go um, to one of the priestesses' evening music, singing, religious services. Um, she goes, the music is beautiful. She kind of ends up in a bit of a trance where she somehow sort of uh, communicates... Well, so first of all, she discovers the location of, then communicates and awakens the harp. We learn that it's under the prison, in, in a place that no one had ever heard of. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Nessa then tells Cassian, and then they both go tell Reese, and then it's kind of decided that, okay, immediately let's go get this thing out before someone else discovers it. So she scries basically in the middle of the ceremony because there's Mm -hmm. i think the the chairs are made of bone or something like no no no, she uses the bone yeah 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 yeah. she uses her own bones which i thought was a bit weird i thought that was a silly explanation i would i was happier just to accept that she just entered a trance because she's somehow connected to the objects yeah and there was a lot of emphasis on the fact that there was a harp playing during the concert, so I kind of understood it as, mm-hmm. oh, I'm listening to the harp, I'm thinking about the harp. Ah, I never even realized that. That's nice. And then suddenly, yeah, she connects with the harp. And yeah, so Cassian and Nesta immediately set out to the prison. Reese decides that it's okay to give Nesta a sword. Mm-hmm. One of the swords that she... Sort of, he's, he's excited. He's like, this will be a fun experiment. Yeah. Let's see what happens. <sighs> Reese, what are you doing? <laughs> Like, let's not tell her about them, but now that she knows, let's have her try it out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not telling her was, was um, you know, I draw the line at telling her, but she might as well handle it, like, yeah. as in use it. 
But let's hope she doesn't get to use it. To be fair, I kind of also see the logic there. Like, let's give her something really powerful mm. just in case. And see what happens. Let's roll with it. And good job. Yeah, yeah. It's a good thing that she did get it. Because as we mentioned previously, they get to the prison and the harp is hidden behind like a rock facade somewhere near the bottom of the prison because the prison is under a mountain. And by absolute coincidence, right next to where the harp is being kept, Lanthis, who was this death god whom we heard about previously in the book, was imprisoned by Cassian hundreds of years ago. And so he's been stewing in the prison. And Nesta manages to get inside the the room that has the harp and there's like weird engravings on the floor and eight-pointed star and constellations and it's all giving kind of Crescent City vibes or something. I, I feel like this might mm-hmm. be important in the future. I didn't pick up on the eight-pointed star thing. Okay, I felt like... Did that hit you instantly? It did because there was also all... Like when they start training with the sword... That's also something, yeah. They keep mentioning that they need to do like an eight-pointed star pattern exercise. And then we get to this room and there's an eight-pointed star on the floor. And then I kind of clocked. Doesn't Bryce now have like a a glowing eight-pointed star on her chest in the second book? I did not remember that. Why do we keep mentioning it? You know... Is this going to be Ooh, important? It's all getting so good. <laughs> of course, it's going to be important. <laughs> Am I reading too much into it? I hope not. But no, I think you're not. I mean, I, I think you're reading into it just the right amount. <laughs> okay. So they find the harp, and then what happens? So Nesta touches the harp, and she sort of has an interaction with it. I think we get a glimpse of the last usage of the harp. Mm-hmm. Uh, she kind of. Ha- sees a vision. The main points I remember were that it was a bit of a traumatic moment. Uh, there were people screaming, Faye screaming. They seemed to be trapped. I thought it was behind a wall, but then when she talked about it later, she mentions that she thought they were trapped within the walls of the mountain. Mm-hmm. But the way I read it was that they had been trapped behind a wall. So I kind of thought that this was that the harp had been used to seal the door. Okay. Let me take a step back. So in Crescent City, we know that the Fae didn't originate on that planet. They mm-hmm. came from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And at some point, they got stuck. So I interpreted this to be that the harp was the, the the thing that closed over the portal and made the Fae stuck on that other world. And that, that screaming was that they wanted to go back to their home world, or at least to only send the children back, mm-hmm. not to be stuck on this other planet. Mm-hmm. That was what I learned. We learned that the harp is also sort of sentient, a bit spooky. The previous user did really kind of mean stuff. I think wicked, which was a cool use of that word, I thought, wicked things. But yeah, the harp seems maybe not insane, but certainly up for a bit of mischief, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to me, it it's completely in line with all the other kind of made or cauldron made or whatever we want to call them objects. Because mm-hmm. even when in Mist and Fury, when Pharaoh was looking for the two parts of the book that was going to... The books were clearly 
One of them was clearly insane. Yeah, exactly. Like, the harp isn't quite deranged. No, but as in... It's more like the clever, wicked half of the yes. book. Yes, but what I mean to say is it kind of gives me the same vibe of it can talk to you, it tries to manipulate you, mm-hmm. it, you know... It wants you to use it in some way. Yes, old and clever and sneaky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the power of the harp, I think it has 26 strings, is that it can transport you from place to place. And mm-hmm. I think the, the longer the string, the farther you can travel. And mm-hmm. does it also allow you to travel in time or just in space? I don't remember if it says. I don't know. But it is mentioned that even death bows the last string. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I didn't really know what to, to how to interpret that. Yeah, me either. Maybe it'll come up later. Who knows? I'm but, sure it will. <laughs> but yeah. Because I kind of thought that maybe if, if even death bows to it, that it might be another way to bring back a dead character in some way. As in that you can reverse time... And maybe reverse their death or something. I'm not sure, but that was kind of my interpretation. Okay, interesting. Your interpretation of the Screaming Fae being the ones who were trapped in Crescent City. Mm -hmm. Now that we have read Crescent City, I agree with you. When I read it the first time, I think I'd read Crescent City the first book, but I didn't know. Obviously, we didn't know that they were in the same universe. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't have made that connection. But this time around, I'm inclined to agree with you that I think that's what it's supposed to represent. The question is, who sealed them there? I I imagine it was the, what are they called? The Asteri? That's what I'm interested in. Maybe, um, I don't know, because I have a theory that Amran is from Crescent City. Yeah, but then they just left the harp. Like the, from the Crescent City world. Behind. So... Because Amran is the only character that I think is linked to Crescent City at this point, I wonder if she had something to do with the closing of the door. Mm-hmm. I, I'm agreeing with you on this, but I, I can't remember why, because it's been so long since I read the book that I've forgotten my theory, but I know that I agree with you. Or wasn't it her father who did it? Ooh, didn't she explain somehow? Her father or her her master? Yeah, because I think there was an explanation in a previous book how she actually came to be in this world and how she how she first thought it was a punishment that she was brought there and, and left mm-hmm. behind, but that as she spent more time there, maybe it was her father slash her master's way of giving her the life that she had always wanted, which was to experience love or something. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if it was her father or like who the master or whoever she was referring to. Okay. And you think there's a connection to the Asteri? I think so. Because isn't there an Asteri missing? Dead, I believe. Or Killed dead. by Satan. Hmm. See, it's a good thing that we'll be probably rereading Crescent City as well, because I've forgotten so much yep. stuff. <laughs> but... Yeah, that's my kind of working theory for now, that maybe Amran had something to do with it. Although she claims that she, ne- well, that she could just be lying. Because I think she claims she never really worked with the, with the Dread Troves, so. But who can, who can really believe everything Amran says? We don't know. It would be cool if it turned out that there was a mega plot twist and she was actually a bad guy all along, waiting for her moment. 
I kind of wish that's where we're going, to be honest. <laughs> that would be fun. I would like it. I would like it. So she grabs the harp. She manages to not succumb to its manipulations. Mm-hmm. But another thing that happens when she's touching the harp is that she's linked with Bryolin. Yes. Who is on the continent and she's wearing the third dread trove, which is the crown. Mm-hmm. That allows her to brainwash people and control their minds. And so they now have a mental link because they're both holding one of the dread troves. And Bryolin now knows exactly where Nesta is. And so she sends some soldiers to the prison. Mm-hmm. And Nesta is trying to escape from Brylin, so she asks the harp to move her, or like to open the door, or some... There's like a really specific phrasing, and as soon as she uses the words open the door, or something, I was like, oh, something's gonna happen. <laughs> For sure they're gonna open another door. Mm-hmm. And that is what happens. So do you want to tell us about which, which door she inadvertently opens with the harp? Yeah. So... Obviously, with all the name dropping and spooky moments, it's Lantis, who just mm-hmm. happens to be really close nearby. Uh, so she, you know, uh, the harp takes her out of the wards containing the harp back to Cassian. They start heading out. They notice the door to Lantis' cell is open. Obviously, panic. But I think they don't meet him, like, at his door. Am I right in saying that they meet him a bit further on in the prison? Or is it as they're leaving that section? I, think I was a bit confused by the, the by the location, but that wasn't really the most important part. No, I think it's I think it's as they're leaving the whatever cavern where the harp was. Because they're at the very bottom. At the very bottom because they're chatting about what Nesta just saw and she names her sword that she's carrying. And then Cassian tells her to run. Because he mm-hmm. sees that the door to Lanthus' cell uh, is yes, open. Yeah. So I think it's right next to the cell. And then? And, indeed. And then? <laughs> <laughs> then there's, yeah, so there's some interaction with Lanthus. I think he tries, first of all, he's like, Cassian, nice to see you again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then... At some point, Cassian tells Nesta basically to save herself and run away. And she does, but then she comes back. And I can't remember if it's the first time or when she comes back. She kind of has a bit more interaction with Lanthus whilst he is beating Cassian up quite severely. Mm-hmm. But this part I really liked. So I can't remember exactly, but more or less, he's like... Who are you? Nesta's hiding the harp behind her back. Things are going pretty badly for Cassian. She has to whip out the sword. He's like, who are you? What is this sword? That's not one of the ones I remember. She uses a bit of her power. She's like, you know who I am. And then he's like, ooh, I know who you are. We heard about you. He kind of tries to seduce her with uh, a vision of power, that they could have power together. She and him are um, the king and queen or supreme lords of the land or whatever they're sitting on the thrones together they have all of the dread trove objects he's wearing the crown i believe which indicates that he knows of these objects Mm -hmm. there's a fourth object mentioned which is kind of out of view but it's something like a piece of bone Mm -hmm. 
we also learn that Amran knew about that. In the vision, he shows her some like these great beasts, which turn out to be the things that are carved into the pillars in the Hune City, which is quite interesting. No one else seemed to know about that, that they maybe were from something rather than just pieces of art. Yeah, he basically is like, I would make you my queen. I'll give you the world, but the world will be our slaves, more or less, because he'll be mm-hmm. wearing the crown. So I'm guessing you liked it. I love this scene. I really enjoyed it from the start, but the minute Nesta was like, you know who I am, I was like, yes, come on, use the magic sword. <laughs> I think she actually uses the sword before this. Yeah, she does, because she cuts him and he becomes, uh, he's forced to maintain a physical form, so he appears as a man. And then I think they have this conversation, and then she's basically like waves the sword at him, like, get back at yourself. And then he does, yeah. and he's like, I'll be back. And then she cuts off his head. Yeah, and... Does she cut off his head or does she stab him? I think she cuts off his head. She does ultimately cut off his head. That seems to be her thing. But I think Cassian throws a dagger in his chest. And I think, so it's like kind of a dual killing blow Mm -hmm. situation. But yeah, I mean, ultimately, I I really like this scene as well. I thought it was good pacing. You know, we have some action. Mm -hmm. I could have done without all the evil monologuing at the beginning about between Lanthus and Cassian. But... The vision that he shows Nesta, I thought, was really good. Mm-hmm. And I'm intrigued by this fourth potential object. Mm-hmm. You said that Amran knew about it. Can you remind me? Because I'm blanking on that. I think when she goes she goes back and they you know, give the debrief because Cassian arrives super injured and races like, what happened? And she tells them. And she mentions that Lantis knew about the Dread Trove. And then she's like, oh, but there was also some some object of power kind of in the background, but all she could make out was a piece of old bone. Mm-hmm. And Amarin says that she... And I'm pretty sure... Knew about it? Or that there was a rumor about there's it? There's some or... kind of hint. Okay. I don't remember. You might be right. Do we... Hmm. Let's... I'm going to quickly Google it while we're... Does it ring any bells to you? Have we heard about another object made of bone previously? Not that I remember, but when we reread Crescent City... I'll be remembering. <laughs> we'll be keeping an eye out. <laughs> okay. And Nesta uses the harp again to get them out of the prison. And she leaves behind the autumn court soldiers that Brylin, Brylin had sent after them. And we get another history lesson from Reese about the wild hunt. Mm-hmm. And the explanation that even though the Fae are now considered the, I don't know, ruling species, ruling race in Prithian and in this world, it wasn't always the case that there was, uh, that there were beings before that who were in charge, who were so-called near gods, called the Daglan. Mm-hmm. And this is when we get the mention of Finn and the sword Gwydion. And Finn managed to fight against the Daglan and then he became the High King mm-hmm. of Prithian. And there was mention previously from Amran the, the fact that now that Nesta has the ability to make weapons 
that Reese could use them to his advantage and he could become the next High King. Did you like this kind of push from everyone saying like, you should do this? No, no, I, I didn't. And I didn't, like, I can understand on some level Amran's theory or like thinking because she is, you know, quite logical and sometimes jumps to the more extreme conclusions. But I didn't expect that Cassian and Azriel would be on board with this. Yeah, they all kind of very quickly fell into like a this one same way of like of kind of urging him of like like it was almost like a cult moment. They were like, "Yes, you should do it. Mm. Yeah, be the supreme leader." Yeah, I totally see the logic, though. I mean, in a way, yes, but and it's not perhaps it's not completely against their character because we have said before that they seem to be. A-okay with killing any and all enemies that, mm -hmm. you know, rise up against them or don't agree with them. So yeah. maybe it's not too far off to suggest that V should just become the number one king and everyone should just fall in line. Yeah. But I, I don't like it. I hope we don't go that way. Maybe we will, because there's obviously going to be a big interworld war. Mm. I mean, there's going to be That's true. probably a world war and an interworld war. Yeah, interworld war. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. But we'll see. We'll see where it goes. I feel like it wouldn't have been mentioned. I'm not... If it's not gonna happen. That... <laughs> yeah, you're you're right. You're right. She doesn't really do that. She doesn't kind of put things in and then not follow through. Exactly. Things are always dropped and then they come back. Yeah, because there is the next Crescent City book that I think has been confirmed is gonna be about Bryce in Prithian. Mm -hmm. And then there's supposed to be two more Akatar books after that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we still have thousands of pages to go in this story. <laughs> okay. I didn't know that the next one was Bryce solely in Prithian. That's a bit disappointing because obviously we want her back in her world with this new knowledge and whatever else she brings back. So I hope she ends up back in in that world. Yes, sorry. I think that is what's going to... I foresee that's what will happen. I think it starts out in Prithian. Yes, okay. And then I think she will eventually go back to Crescent City World. Because I was like, imagine 600 pages of just Bryce chatting around with everyone looking for weapons. Like, come on, we need more. It's like another Tower of Dawn all over again. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Because also, I don't know... I think she keeps saying that Crescent City will only be three books. So I feel like she'll have to wrap it up in the in the next book. As in Bryce has to go back to, yeah. to her go. own world. Oh, I need this book tomorrow. Not not the next one in six months and then the others in the next years. Who knows when. Long. Yeah. I mean, we got to give it to her. She's fast, but... It just came to me that maybe she'll... Maybe Bryce will go back to Crescent City... She'll save Hunt and Rune and everyone she needs to save. And then they'll go back to Prithian. And that would be like the end of... Where are they going to the... live, though? I don't know. They'll figure it out. They'll find an island. How will they live, though, without all their technology, without their mobile phones and everything? That's what I'm... <laughs> True, they'll be going back to the Dark Ages. Uh, okay, last thing on Crescent City. I did look up something about the fourth mm -hmm. object, and I, I can tell you what it is if you'd like to know. It's only a theory. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Big spoiler, guys, if you if you don't want to know, stop now. But yeah, go on. The the primary theory seems to be that it's the horn. 
Mm. That would make a lot of sense. It would. Yes. What is the power of the horn again? It can op- it can open portals. Or not. Oh man, Jess, I don't remember. What is the power of the horn? I cannot remember either. But it's a big power, whatever it, it is. It is really big. Oh man. We'll be keeping an eye out when we do the reread. <laughs> it's able to open rifts between worlds. But why would we want that and the harp? Why would they both come from the same family of objects when they can both do the same thing? Well, I don't know that the harp can open... Well, no, because it can, because she asked it to open a door, and it did. But maybe it's maybe it can't open a portal, but it can help you travel across said portal, even if you're not, like, immediately next to it or something. I genuinely don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But if that was that, I kind of disbelieved that maybe it was the horn, because I feel it would not be... The same thing. Also, the objects of the trove all seem to be metal, not bone. Mm, I don't know. Anyway, major digression. They all seem to have something to do with with death or like... Cont- well, not the crown. The crown allows you to control people. But, yeah, I don't know. We shall see. We'll we keep an see. eye out. But we have digressed. So, then there's talk of... The fact that they can't go after the crown. They don't want to risk anyone. Brylan uh, has it. So they need to strengthen their alliances. And <laughs> their number one ally at this point is Eris, who, as we all remember, is the oldest son of the High Lord of Autumn and Lucian's older brother. And so they come up with the plan that they will invite Eris to the Winter Solstice Ball that they hold every year in the Hewn City. And they're going to throw Nesta at him. (laughs) Because Nesta is apparently super skilled at ballroom dancing to the point where when she was just a 14-year-old girl, she managed to get some wealthy duke or someone to fall madly in love with her in one night and propose to her. So they're going to dangle Nesta in front of Eris and see if he (laughs) takes the bait. How did you like this whole plotline? I really liked it, but I thought it was a bit silly. I think if you look a bit too closely, the whole thing is a bit ridiculous, but I thought it was fun. Yeah, (laughs) me too. (laughs) And... You know, I speak as someone who has some experience with ballroom dancing. I don't know that you can fully seduce someone to fall madly in love with you and want to propose to you through the power of dance. I'm not saying it's impossible, but, you know, I question it a little bit. But overall, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it once we got to that part. Like when when she's dancing with Eris, I think maybe it's supposed to be like a metaphor to showcase her her passion or like the fire within and the fact that she doesn't back down from Eris, which I think Eris really appreciates. You know, he likes he's quite feisty. He 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 wouldn't want just a meek woman who would never speak back, I I feel. Mm-hmm. So in that sense I think they work quite well together as a pair. Mm-hmm. And Maybe, historically speaking, things like this would have been more popular. Like, 
you know, back in the day when you weren't even supposed to be in the same room with a member of the yep. opposite sex, the only time you would have a chance to speak is if you were at a ball and you were dancing for yep. three minutes, then, you know, maybe there is some way that this could work. But yeah, overall, I really enjoyed it. And me too. I would like to see that dance that they danced together. Ultimately, you would like to watch it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, if they do turn this into a TV show, yeah. and we get to like, <laughs> Court of Silver Flames season, then I'm curious what kind of choreography it would have and everything. Oh, man, I hope they have a professional dancer like I'm talking top tier. Oh, yeah. Dancers stand in for this scene. Because otherwise, yeah, I hope so. What are we watching? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I really liked how Cassian <laughs> gets really jealous and steps in and that he's mm -hmm. been learning from more in secret how to dance so that he I could thought that was fun. This. Yeah, I thought this was really cute. So what else is there? So Eris falls... Well, I don't think he falls in love with Nesto, but he's definitely... He's, he has been seduced. He is has been seduced. He is intrigued by her and he does tell Reese that what he wants is Nesta. And nothing mm -hmm. less. And so Reese says that he will speak to her and that it has to be her choice. So now we're back to Reese saying everything is her choice. Yeah. And tell us about the other winter solstice celebration that happens at the house. Yeah. This one is... Yeah, so Nesta tends this one in far better spirits than previously. Lucian is there. Varian is there. All the usual gang are there. We have the gift giving, same as last year. As usual, Nesta doesn't have anything for anyone. She still receives presents, however. Yeah, I think the, this just mainly leads on to the bonus scene. To the, yes. So tell me about the bonus scene, Jess. I think you, you read it for the first time now, right? Yes. And for those who don't know, in some of the editions of this book that were released in the States, there was a bonus scene included at the end of the book which is which takes place immediately after chapter 58 of A Court of Silver Flames. And it's a scene between Asriel and Elaine. So do you mm -hmm. want to tell us what happens during this scene? I would love to. This is... Okay, Asriel is downstairs. Then Elaine appears. And they're like, I have a gift for you. But I didn't want to give it to you in front of everyone. Anyway, they, they exchange their gifts. He's given Elaine a beautiful necklace that, I don't know, it has some sparkly colors or something. And Elaine gives him... What does she give him? She gives him earplugs to... Oh, so dumb. Drown out the noises of Cassian and Nesta every night. <laughs> oh, it's so dumb. And then he's he kind of laments to himself, like, not laments, but... You know, he says to himself, like, oh, and uh, her other gift, I stared at every night before I go to sleep. It was a bit funny. But basically, the two of them have quite a heated moment where ultimately nothing happens. They almost kiss. But then, right as they're about to, Reese, like, bursts into Asriel's mind and, like, is like, what are you doing? Get up here now! So then Asriel leaves. Elaine's obviously a bit upset. She's like, what's going on? What's the problem? Azra goes to meet with Reese and he's like, what are you doing? Her maid is literally upstairs. Then there's a bit of tension. Azra is like, look, I think she belongs with me. You know, is it really a coincidence that there are three sisters fated to be with only two brothers? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, 
at this point, I'm I'm really on his side. Sorry, I still also see Reese's point of view. Yeah, that was maybe not the smartest move, but I'm still on his side. Like, I also think, what are the chances the two of them, spoiler, are mates with two of them, and Azriel and Leon are just not, especially when they get on so well. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Azriel has to leave the house because he cannot be trusted with his own impulses at this point. <laughs> He arrives to the House of Wind. Gwyn is up, is outside on the top uh, doing a bit of midnight training. They just have a bit of a chat. She can tell that he clearly didn't leave the party because he forgot something, which is what he tells her. Uh, and then the next day... Oh, yes. At, at, before he leaves, Elaine has kind of put the present back because she feels a bit slighted. He tells Clotho to give the necklace to Gwyn and say it was for Reese, maybe, or... Something basically, he just wants to get rid of this necklace, but thinks that maybe Gwen would like it. Mm-hmm. But wants to do it anonymously. Yeah. So, did you? What like- are your thoughts? Okay. Clearly, you have a lot of thoughts. I really don't like Azriel in this chapter. I can't. I don't know. I I find him to be so entitled and so petulant. Is that the right word? Like. I don't know. I'd... You know, like, he's just throwing a fit, like a an angsty teenager who's like, don't take my toy away from me. I'm entitled to this toy. I'm entitled to Elaine because... But I don't think it's entitlement because they were both... They're both consenting. They both clearly have vibes together. Yeah, I don't deny that there is some kind of chemistry between them. It's just I don't like how he speaks to Reese about his feelings towards her because he never at any point says, I have feelings for Elaine. I want to see where this can go. You know, I care mm-hmm. for her. His words are, she should be mine because you have Feyre and Cassian has Nesta, so why don't I get anyone? It's just mm-hmm. the phrasing that I don't really vibe with. And I get you. I also don't like Reese in this chapter and his hypocrisy. I don't like him either. About, you know, you can't take someone's mate or. Okay, granted, he, you know, him and Pharaoh were mates, but like what he did to come to Pharaoh's wedding to Tamlin and take her away could have also started a war between the Spring Court and the Night Court. And he's telling mm-hmm. Asriel that he that Asriel shouldn't be with Elaine because Elaine be- belongs, in quotation marks, to Lucian. Lucian belongs mm-hmm. to the Autumn Court, so this could spark a war between the two courts if mm-hmm. Lucian were to challenge him to, like, a duel or something. And yep. Asriel will obviously kill Lucian because he's so much more powerful <laughs> and then all war will break out. I'm just like, what are we doing? <laughs> I mm-hmm. just felt like it was unnecessary it didn't really help my opinion about any of the characters and then he just gives the necklace to Gwyn mm-hmm. I mean it's better than what Cassie did and he dumped the gift in the river yes but I also have issues with Azriel and Gwyn as a as a couple because I feel like there's so much trauma and history between them you know, Azriel is the one who saved her from the temple after she had been mm-hmm. brutally beaten and raped by other males. So mm-hmm. I feel like in her mind, 
she already sees him in a certain way because he is the hero who saved her. Yeah. And it, I feel like it would be really, what's the word? Insensitive or like almost, I don't, I can't come up with the word, but like, I feel like Asriel must on some level know how Gwyn feels about him because she is kind of shy and it seems like she might have a bit of a crush on him based on their mm-hmm. interactions during training. So mm-hmm. the only thing that but makes... But he never, he never kind of strings her along. No, he doesn't. And the only way I can excuse his behavior with the fact that he wants to give her the necklace is, the, is that he doesn't outright tell her it's from him. Yeah. But, you know, I fear that she will find out that it's from him and then that she will get the wrong message. And... You know, if she then has the necklace and Elaine sees her with the necklace, what is going to, what's yeah. going to happen? That's the only reason I can think that he would have given it to Gwen rather than returning it to the seller is because eventually it will create some drama where Elaine sees Gwen wearing it. Yeah. So that is, I think, the only reason for that. It's for future. Yeah. Whatever. It just seems a bit short-sighted of Asriel and kind of, I don't know. I just don't, I just don't like it. At this point, mm-hmm. I don't really want him to end up with either of them. <laughs> See, I want him to end up with Elaine anyway, so I'm pretty like, yes, it should be three brothers and three sisters. No, it really shouldn't. It's just too predictable. Yeah, but come on. It's seriously, it's going to be two of them, but not the third. I'm t- I totally see his logic. Like, <laughs> mates are so rare, and yet two and two. Come on. Okay. I guess we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> I guess we will. <laughs> So you mentioned the two and two, that two brothers have gotten two females already. Mm-hmm. Back to Nesta and Cassian then, because just before we have this bonus scene with Asriel, you know, things come to a head, so to mm-hmm. say, between Nesta and Cassian, and a big step, I feel, is taken in their relationship. Cassian gives her a present for the winter solstice. He's gotten her a music box and recorded all the music from the winter solstice celebration that they were at in the hewn city and then he went to all the uh, taverns that she used to frequent in Valeris and asked all the bands to play their songs so I thought that was really sweet I really liked that present you know it's really thoughtful it shows it is he knows what Nesta likes what's important to her. And then what is Nesta's reaction to this? She a bit freaks out. Mm-hmm. She kind of reacts quite badly, I think. Uh, she sees it as really a sign of like that he does know her, which frightens her. And also that the thought that someone would put in so much effort frightens her. And she immediately tries to push him away. I guess she fully grasps that this kind of gift can only be given by someone who has real feelings for her. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we haven't yet used the L word here, but Cassian obviously loves Nesta. It's a, it's a common, but we haven't <laughs> used it yet. But, you know, I think that's the message that we're all receiving. Cassian obviously loves Nesta. And Nesta has been very clear up until this point, that they are not together as a couple. They are just sleeping together. Mm -hmm. It doesn't 
it shouldn't lead to anything else. And we find out why. And it's because she feels that she is so bad, as in such a bad person, that she could never deserve someone as good as Cassian. And they talk it out, and they still don't use the L word, but they do promise that they will be faithful to each other forever and ever, and there will never be anybody else, and she will not marry Eris. And then I'm curious if you, if it's just me, if I'm reading too much into this, but they, they have sex. And I feel like the language that Sarah J. Maas uses... It's the mating bond, right? Obviously, yes. But, yeah. you know, up until this point in this book, she's been next level. Like, this is no longer... I don't think we can call this young adult anymore. We've, we've moved into the adult. The sex scenes have been really... Yeah. I don't know what the word is, but like... More graphic. Very graphic. There's no colorful language, no lyrical you know, we, we aren't traversing through the universe when we're having sex. And now suddenly <laughs> there's like golden light coming out of them and their souls are singing to each other. But it's because of the meeting I know, but I just, don't, I just don't like it. Like, why do we need to... Like, it's so clear that the language changes. Because it's so special and <sighs> it's, a, it's a pivotal moment. I know I get it, but come on, we're all adults here. Like, you can have sex with someone you love, and it doesn't have to be this, you know, huge thing. But with... it, I think it's because it's the moment of the of the mating bond happening. It's it's the it's the moment. So you're reading this as this is the point, the moment when the mating bond snaps into place. Snaps into place. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I don't know if they realize it at the time, but I think that's it. Okay. Like that is, yeah. So why was there no golden light when the mating bond snapped into place between Reese and Feyre? Reese was just taken aback and he stumbled back and then he... Because it was all... Because it already... Well, yeah. Because it only happened... It happened for them separately. But they still, let's say when they... In the moment in the cabin, <laughs> there sure was light. Because they both kind of accepted the bond, you know. So when you accept the bond, perhaps this golden light happens. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just making this up. Okay. <laughs> but I, we both agree this is what is going on. They are being mated or whatever the verb is. <laughs> oh, that's so horrible to say, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. And then very briefly, I want to just touch on Nesta's friendship with Emery and Gwyn because they have this sweet scene mm -hmm. in the next chapter when Cassian goes off for his annual snowball fight with Reese and Asriel and Nesta mm -hmm. and they have a bit of a sleepover yes and Nesta is left alone and she is just going crazy because she can't be with Cassian so she invites Gwyn mm -hmm. and Emery for a sleepover how did you like this interaction between her and Gwyn and Emery. I really liked it until the point where it was like the unicorn and the, the bubble bath with birds and the bubbles. Like I thought that was just pretty silly, but overall I enjoyed the sentiment. Me too. I mean, I've really liked that Nesta has, you know, her own friends outside of the inner circle and 
the the teasing and the banter that's developing between them, especially from Emery. Like Gwyn is still a little bit reserved, but you know, Emery teases Nesta about Cassian all the time, which I really, really enjoy. Mm-hmm. And we get a scene as well when Emery sees more from the distance. And mm-hmm. we know from Wings and Ruin that Moore prefers females to males. Mm-hmm. And has it been explicitly stated that Emery does as well at this point? I don't think so. Okay. I think this is the first hint. Mm-hmm. Do you think this will go anywhere? Would you like it to go somewhere? I think it might go somewhere. I don't know if I want it to go somewhere that like the only two let's say lesbian or bisexual characters end up together. I think it would be nice maybe if I don't know. I don't I think because more sort I think was was her lover in the past also a warrior. I think so, yeah. I don't know. I I think it's just it's all pretty convenient for the only two characters, but isn't that kind of the same with every relationship in this book? I was so, going to say, if it's three sisters know. for three brothers, then why can it not be? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. I I think that's where we'll go. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. I would love to see them both have someone else, I think. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of agree with you. I think it would be, it would almost be like a token relationship at this point. Yeah. Part of me feels like that is what's going to happen. I think this is where we're going to end up. It's going to be Emery and more together because I feel like maybe mm-hmm. it would be too much work for Sarah J. Maas to write in a whole new character. But, you know, I might be wrong. We'll see. And how do you feel about the friendship bracelets that they make for each other? I thought that was maybe a little bit childish, but... Maybe I'm I just thought it was cynical. too, but I liked it. Okay. And I liked that Nesta specifically, mm-hmm. I don't want to say bless them, but she did something. She definitely did something to it, yeah. And then, last chapter, last thing that happens is, throughout these few chapters, we haven't really mentioned it, but there has been this challenge for Gwyn, Emery, and Nesta, and all the other priestesses to try and cut a ribbon in half because that is the final thing that they need to do in order to be Valkyries or something in their training. Mm -hmm. And they finally managed to do this. So they call themselves the Valkyries now. And Cassian and Asriel set up an obstacle course in the training ring and it changes every day. And they're supposed to work as a team to get through it. And we finish off the section with Nesta, Gwyn, and Emery, who are obviously a team, manage to make their way through the obstacle course, and they are being observed by... What's his name? Devlin. That's the one, who is the leader of the Illyrians. And... He's the leader of... Is he the leader of them all, or just the leader of the camp? You're right, yeah. From which... Just the camp, yeah, yeah, yeah. And big reveal... This obstacle course was the qualifier to the blood rite, which is mm-hmm. the... What is it? Remind us what it is. It is the ritual which the Illyrians, uh, the young men, take part in, and it kind of marks the transition from, let's say, novice to warrior. By completing this uh, challenge, 
you you become considered a warrior by the community. Yes. So for the first time ever, three females have managed to pass the qualifying round. So if they so wish, they could take part in the blood rite this year. And we'll have to wait until next time to see where this goes. Is there anything else you want to talk about from these 20 chapters that we haven't already mentioned? I just want to say on the blood right thing, mm-hmm. I didn't like this because, and I also didn't like the ribbon thing because it was too easy. Like, are you seriously telling me that they have achieved all of this in a few months? Mm-hmm. I, that's the one part I don't like. I think like people who have been training their whole lives, like two, up to two decades, the young men, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. sometimes still don't qualify. The Valkyries who are notoriously skilled that... Okay, cutting the ribbon, I'm not saying it's easy, but they achieve it after a relatively short amount of time. Mm-hmm. So either they all just happen to be incredible warriors, or this was really easy. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I didn't like that. I I thought it kind of minimized the, the awe we were supposed to feel for the Valkyries. Mm-hmm. I kind of, that, was, that was kind of the last thing I wanted to say. Yeah, I kind of agree. I kind of disagree as well. I'm kind of of two minds. I think, I, again, I like the what it represents for them, the fact mm-hmm. that they've managed to achieve this. I, I do question, yes, I don't know. You know, I've never fought with a sword. I've never even held a sword in my hand in my whole life. I don't know how difficult it actually is to cut a ribbon in half. I had a difficult time picturing it the first time. I read it, but now I kind of think, okay, maybe it's to do with the fact that, you know, it's it's kind of flowing in the wind or like in the breeze and it's never, it's not standing still. Mm-hmm. And if, yeah, if you hold the sword wrong, then it just kind of skims the surface and you're not actually cutting it. So, mm-hmm. okay, I can kind of get it now. And I can also accept that, you know, it's taken them months to actually be able to cut the ribbon. So I'm okay with the ribbon cutting, but I agree with you about the obstacle course which they managed to overcome in like a week yeah it was all just a bit bit easy yeah i i kind of agree with you there yes otherwise i thought this set of chapters were probably the best in the book so far oh interesting okay i really enjoyed it cool I, the prison scene was just chef's <laughs> loved it cool the mask scene was great also but this this section, I just felt we had a lot of a lot of lore, mm-hmm. a lot of action. It was good. I think I prefer the mask scene for the kind of the vibes and you know just how uncomfortable I felt reading it. Oh, it's great. But yeah. I agree that I think this scene, especially if you take it in conjunction with Crescent City, and if our theories are correct. Mm-hmm then this scene is much more important, I think, for what we for what it can mean for the crossover. But we shall have to wait and see, as we've been saying this whole episode. <laughs> cool. So happy enough to leave it there. Happy for me. Excellent. So next time we will be finishing off this book. So that will be chapter 61 to 80. And that will be the end. Of our journey through Akatar. I'm kind of amazed we got here, but here you go. Yeah, it's been fun. It's been 
you know, for, for our listeners who don't know, it's been six months in the making. We've been recording for six months by the time we finish this whole thing. So, I mean, it kind of feels like, yeah, when I think about the first episode, that seems a long time ago, but it also doesn't feel like we've been doing this for that long. I don't know. Yeah. Probably just because I've enjoyed it. So I'll talk to you next time then to finish off Silver Flames. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about us and the podcast, visit our website at readingmaterialspodcast.com. We also publish additional content, including blog posts around the world of books and our thoughts on the topic. If you'd like to get in touch, email us at reading.materials.podcast at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at readingmaterialspod. Until next time, keep reading.